This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. I'm Jack Pelzer with Dan Hodgman. Dan, what's up? Not much, Jack. How are you? You know, I'm doing just fine. Uh, pretty good Wednesday so far. Getting into the uh, fall mood a little bit. I, you know, it is. It's uh, it's true fall. I'm looking out there, like just outside in my front yard, and most of my trees have lost all their leaves, and it really is officially fall at this point. Yeah, and uh, you know, the markets are doing a little bit more of their October thing than I thought they would. Uh, I thought this. Uh, stimulus battle is going to be a disaster but the resilience of everything is just shocking to me well you know it's interesting i can't really wrap my head around it i mean they just no one wants to agree on anything here like no one wants to come to any sort of balance in terms and you know every offer it's just an automatic no yeah, um, right it's like do something well it's what they say about the bear markets or when the market the market won't fall until every single short is out right. <laughs> until every right. single person has capitulated only then uh and i think it just goes to show why you have to just keep your eyes on the market and look at the price action and not uh you know try and pull a big short no kidding i mean you can't take the short right now well we said it we've said it for like the last couple of months we've been talking about hey come election time you don't know what's gonna happen just be very careful you know, yesterday, a couple different companies, uh, drug agencies or drug companies, excuse me, not agencies, drug companies came out and said they're putting a pause on their vaccine trials that were actually doing really well because of certain issues. I thought that right there, I thought we were all just bracing for the tumble. And now we fell like 20 points in the S&Ps and then recovered in the afternoon. It's like every single uh, piece of news is interpreted one way. That if it happens, it's going to be bad for the markets. And then when the bad thing happens, it's just like, well, this is the good thing from that. We knew all along. You know, right. it, we, oh, we knew this was going to happen. I mean, we were ready for this. Initially, people were uh, thinking, oh, the market's pricing in a Trump victory, and that's going to make stocks rally because of the taxes. And then, like, ob obviously, it's m more likely at this point of Biden victory. It's like, well, uh, then there'll be more stimulus and uh, right. stocks go up. It, it's just, man, Who I can't the stop. heck knows at this point well one person who might have a differing opinion on this <laughs> is the person we interviewed this week uh we talked to jerry robinson who's the founder of followthemoney.com uh he's out in the ozarks living 75 percent, hoping to get the 99 percent off the grid at some point this was an interesting interview dan absolutely well first off talking about living off the grid that is I don't ever want to be 100%, but I definitely want to get closer to self-sufficiency. Like, it's a dream of mine to have, you know, a large piece of land, um, close to civil, very close to civilization, um, where I can, you know, have my chickens and some, you know, some livestock around and uh, some you yeah, know, good I'm water. With you. I want the water drums and the chickens. I still want my uh, HBO though so uh you're right. exactly I, I, need, I need i need some of my creature comforts i don't know if you have ever seen dan and i uh me especially i'm not a hardened mountain man 
Uh, (laughs) But anyway, Jerry had some really uh, interesting views. And, you know, I think it's good sometimes just to get views from everywhere. And uh, Jerry has some strong beliefs. And I think it's cool that um, he has adapted, changed them. And he's certainly not someone who uh, he's no charlatan, man. He uh, he believes what he's saying. Absolutely. Well, what I loved uh, our conversation, first off, he talks about like the point when everything kind of shifted in his life. And I think that's something a lot of people in any successful position can kind of point at that, look to that point where things started to shift. Um, And he also brings up such a great point in this conversation. I'm excited for everyone to listen to it. But we talked about diversification. And this is most of what we talk about on here is trading. And he talks, he's he's a trader. I mean, he's a professional trader. And he talks about how small the trading account is compared across the whole board of everything that he's got. And to me, I think that's such an important thing to uh, pay attention to. So when we get to that segment, make sure you guys uh, keep your ears open about that one. Absolutely. Only trade what you can lose. That's uh, maybe the one takeaway from every lesson we ever give here. <laughs> Uh, So, everyone, please enjoy the interview. Uh, Be sure to rate and subscribe us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to the podcast. And we'll check in back with y'all after the break. Hey, everybody. We're joined today uh, by the founder of followthemoney.com, Mr. Jerry Robinson from Arkansas. How you doing, Jerry? Great to be here. Thank you so much. Doing great. Yeah, uh, Jerry, you had one of those uh, resumes when they sent us a bio that I was looking at and like, this is going to be a cool conversation today. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Yeah. So um, we might start by, you know, just tell us a little bit about how uh, you got, you, you describe yourself as an investor. You founded this. Uh, you're also living 75% off the grid, I see, which is super interesting. I want to hear about that. Uh, but kind of how'd you get into the investing game? Right. So uh, my mother was actually a stockbroker whenever I was younger. I helped her study for the Series 7. I got really into the stock market early. I could tell it was an area that could help the average individual. Uh, I uh, I was really intrigued by the movements of prices up and down. And so I, this, it was really just uh, the fascination with Wall Street early on that kind of captured my imagination. And over time, I just kind of knew uh, it was something I wanted to do. I was always looking at the business pages online early. Whenever I was in my early 20s, you would find me at the local Barnes & Noble reading through all of the investing books trying to and the business books. I was just trying to crack the code. I was trying to figure out how how does this work? You know, how do you succeed? And I've spent a lot of time studying that topic. And so by 2008... You know, I had studied economics at the university. I was doing some economic consulting for different businesses, and I was also a financial advisor. And I just decided to write a book, and it was called Bankruptcy of Our Nation. And it came out, I was writing the book in 2007 when we were really at the peak uh, of the housing bubble and all of this. And uh, in 2007, I wrote the book. I was excited. I went out and shopped the book around and found out nobody wanted it. A, they didn't know who I was, and B, they thought I was, you know, the things I was writing, things that I were writing were ludicrous. You know, the dollar was in trouble and that, you know, the stock market could crash and all of this. And so, anyway, in 2008, in October, my book was still out there. I had a, I had an agent. I was trying to get it published somewhere. And in October of 2008, I was speaking out in Colorado at some conference about th- this topic. And I got home from 
the flight off the plane, you have to turn your phone off on the plane. And when I looked, I had eight or nine missed calls and we had received many different offers for the book bankruptcy of our nation. We, we decided to go with one of these publishers that, that had uh, offered an advance and everything on the book. And I did that. I got that book out there. And from there, we just grew followthemoney.com. We saw there was a tremendous desire for education in this area. People were concerned about the economy. They, they didn't know what to do. I have a heart of a teacher, so it was just perfect for me. So we started a podcast at followthemoney.com. I started writing blog posts, interviewing top minds on the topic of economics and investing, and have really kind of created here at followthemoney.com a one-stop shop for financial education. If you want to learn about investing, if you want to learn about trading, if you want to learn about cryptocurrency, stocks, ETFs, real estate, you know, ways to make more money, how to defer taxes, how to protect against taxes in the coming tax tsunami, you know, all of those kind of topics are right here. Uh, that's what we've been doing now for some time. We have members all around the world, uh, nice investing community. It's just a, it's really turned out to be great. So we've been doing that since 2010. Yes. Uh, so I was just going to say that uh, during 2008, 2009, I was still, I also did um, economics in college. And so I was still just learning and trying to figure it out. Um, what were the sort of things that you were looking at as far as like the thesis of your uh, book? What were you seeing? Was it the same thing that, you know, everyone's probably familiar with the big short and things like that, where there were all these clues as far as the housing market? Uh, what were sort of the red flags that you were seeing? Well, my study in economics at the university was, you know, was just that. It was a very, uh, you know, stodgy uh, introduction to Keynesian economics. Uh, I looked at things like Austrian economics. I looked at things even like monetary economics. I began to look at different kinds of ideas. And I discovered that uh, the route we were going was the same route that other empires had taken uh, and it was just simply kind of uh, just doing the math. It was just literally we are overextended as a military. We don't have any kind of plan to pay for all of our entitlement spending that we have. Uh, you can't hear the word national debt on a presidential debate. You don't hear anything about a trade deficit at a presidential debate. Nobody talks about how they're going to pay for anything in Washington. And this was this has been going on for a long time. So they like to drop bombs on countries and blame people for this and that and then make you pay for it. They like to bail out Wall Street. Biggest biggest Wall Street bailout we've ever had in world history just happened underneath uh, the current president, and we all get to pay for that too because we all like propping up Wall Street banks and we all like propping up uh, you know for-profit corporations in this free market economy we have. And so I, I began to see a lot of this writing on the wall. Like this is just obviously not adding up mathematically. And sure enough, we saw the crash in 2008, 2009, the Federal Reserve stepped in immediately and did its job of uh, propping up through its words and through fake money that it just prints out of nowhere uh, to prop up the uh, failing financial system. And they did. They kind of created a backstop for it. And we had the slowest economic recovery we've ever had in the United States over the last many years. Then in 2020, uh, this year, when the COVID crisis hit and Washington didn't know what to do until the stock market went down, then they knew what to do. They knew to bail things out, right? So the free market economy that loves to boast about how it's a free market economy, they know one solution for everything. And that one solution is always bailout. 
There's no other solution whatsoever in the free market economy. Free market economists in 2020 have no other solution than to bail out problems. That's their solution. There is no other solution. There is no other solution. And since there's no other solution, that means that you and I are going to have to pay for all of these bail. They're not bailing me out. They're bailing bailing out Wall Street. They're bailing out GE. They're bailing out airlines. So since they're bailing out all these other people, I realize I better start making more money so I can afford to help Washington bail out all these people. And that's where it becomes incumbent upon the uh, individual to realize that he has to take action. If he doesn't take action, then he's going to be on the hook for a tremendous amount of taxes in the future. So the writing is on the wall. We have a $150 trillion debt problem. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. We'd rather talk about something else. But at some point, we're going to have to talk about it, and somebody's going to have to pay for it. And we can see and sense that that day is nearing. We hear the we hear the uh, debate slowly kind of creeping up, especially around the topic of taxes. Rich people don't want to pay taxes. Poor people don't want to pay taxes. Nobody wants to pay taxes, but nobody else wants to cut spending either, right? If you ask somebody what they want to cut in Washington spending, nobody tells you. Nobody knows what to cut. But they sure know they don't want to pay taxes either. It's a terrible mathematical problem that ends in bankruptcy uh, for the United States. And there's many ways to protect yourself. And this is what we specialize in here at Follow the Money. There's many ways to protect yourself. Uh, namely or chiefly among them is education, uh, is, is educating yourself. Another uh, strategy, of course, is to di- diversify your investments across various asset classes, real estate, uh, income-producing real estate, which, by the way, the tax code highly incentivizes. Yeah, boy, does we, it. As we, re- <laughs> as we recently found out with Mr. Trump's taxes, right? And then also, we, we also know that things like cryptocurrency that exist outside of the financial system, Bitcoin, for example. I've been a long-term investor in Bitcoin. I'm a uh, someone who believes that Bitcoin um, is a novel economic institution that solves the problems that we that we have today because it's a finite supply. No one can go and create more Bitcoin. Uh, nobody knows what to do with that information. They say, well, that's not even possible. I mean, we can create more of everything. How can we not create more Bitcoin? Well, you just can't. And they, they made that that, uh, that way on purpose. They didn't want people, uh, you know, the person who created it did not want people being able to inflate the currency. So it has a predictable monetary policy. And because of that, unlike everything else we have today, it's fixed and finite. This is the attraction we have towards uh, gold and silver. It's finite, or it feels finite. Uh, uh, but at least in the case of Bitcoin, it's literally finite. Uh, finite ends up being the strange um, solution here uh, in a world where everything is printed out of thin air. Yeah. That's the uh, Dan, you could talk gold and all that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting when you bring up Bitcoin. I, you know, I still have reservations around the whole concept. Um, strictly for the mere fact, it's there's no regulation behind it. There's really no f- the fact or fiction behind it. There's the fact is questionable. Um, we don't know really where it comes from. Um, we have an understanding that it is a very safe product. But I love the idea of the blockchain concept. That's where I get really intrigued in this. I think, I think it's. The science, the technology behind it is definitely the way of the future. But then I also start to question 
that idea of a credit card, does it become the idea of a credit card where you're holding a certain debt and say, I owe X amount in Bitcoin um, because it is finite. And at some point it's going to get stretched too thin, right? Or where does well, that change? Divide it just for everyone listening. And uh, Jerry, tell me if you're wrong because you seem to know a lot more about Bitcoin, but it's finite in the sense that it takes an exponentially exponential more computing power to create more. So there's an eventual finite supply of all the Bitcoin that'll ever be mined via computers, right? That's right. There's only uh, 21 million that will ever be created through the through the mining process, and that's how the code is written. Um, and so that doesn't happen. The very last Bitcoin anticipated to be mined in the year 2140, which is quite a ways away. And by the way, today, already 18 million, roughly 18 million are in, in supply. So we're only going to see, and the inflation rate of Bitcoin is lower than gold as of May 2020 with the latest halving, which is quite something. Uh, I'm a, by the way, when we bring up Bitcoin, I, I probably just stopped there. I was mentioning solutions and then I just kind of stopped at Bitcoin. There's many other solutions, but uh, to that point though, uh, Bitcoin composes 5% of my total investable assets. Um, yeah, that's good. That's a, that's a number that I feel very comfortable with. Gold and silver uh, compose 15% of my total investable assets. Real estate, uh, income-producing real estate, composes 40% of my uh, investable assets. So it kind of gives you an idea uh, of where that is. So Bitcoin... Very uh, diversified. Yeah, 5% of, you know, so it's not the end-all, be-all. It's a, it is a solution. It's not the solution. You, you know, I really, uh, like the portfolio that you're describing is really diverse. I, I like that it's sometimes, you know, when you talk to people that are tr true believers and say gold or Bitcoin, it's everything they have is in gold and Bitcoin. And um, I think that no matter what, your opinions are going forward. It's always important to be in a bunch of different asset classes. And, you know, people are going to need a place to live. The real estate is not disappearing anytime soon. Um, I think that's great. Do, do you uh, still, are you still involved in equities? I know you, uh, you, you trade um, stocks and ETFs and things like that. Um, is that what the remainder of your portfolio is? Yeah, 20%. Another twenty percent goes into business. You know, I have several different businesses, and then the and then so I put twenty twenty cents out of every investing dollar that I have goes back into the business, and then uh, in businesses, and then um, and then another twenty percent, the remaining twenty percent is equities, and I divide that up one third for trading. So one third of that money goes into a trading account. The other two thirds is in long term investing. Uh, so long term investments in equities. Okay, so spread out. Uh, the market crashes. Okay, I lose money, but my my rent houses are still there. Uh, the rent houses go out of you know out of whack. Well, I've still got my gold and silver. So you, you've kind of got yourself spread out, like you had said. Now, uh, investing diversification is is key, uh, but many people stop there. Uh, we teach the importance of actually diversifying your savings, even uh, having six months of liquidity and then diversifying that liquidity. We talk about that on our website. If I can give out a link, it's a free link. It's just followthemoney.com forward slash DSL. And there you can read all about how we diversify our six-month liquid savings. It's also important to diversify your income. Many people have one income stream. Sometimes they have two. Uh, the average family today has three income streams coming into their home. Mommy works, daddy works, and then there's maybe like a CD throwing off interest or something. Uh, we teach that there's 22 different income streams that you can create both now and in retirement. We put them in our book, Bankruptcy of Our Nation. 
We have an income university on followthemoney.com where we teach all of these 22 different income streams. And many of our members have seven, eight different income streams. We teach them that, you know, having your job and having one income stream from your job is the most dangerous kind of income. It's also the most highly taxed income. So we teach them that there's other ways to diversify your income and your investments and your savings. Diversification is a key. Some people don't like diversification. Uh, as you mentioned, some people say, well, gold's going to be the winner, or they say real estate's going to be the winner. The problem with that mentality, even though they may be right, the problem with that mentality is that it ignores the rules of the game, which can change at any time. And mm -hmm. all of the rules mm -hmm. of the game are written in the federal income tax code. So if you want to know what the rules are, you look at the tax code. And they can change those rules at any time. Just ask people who've lived through those changes, and they'll tell you that you can get hurt if you're all in something. And then the government says, we're changing the rules on real estate, or we're changing the rules on gold, or you know, like back in 1933, for example. So the government can change the rules. And because it can, diversification is really our only weapon. I want to highlight something you just said for all our listeners out there. We have a lot of investing and trading um, listeners out there. And something you said that I thought was really great. First off, you're extremely diversified across all sort of assets. But then when you started talking about your trading versus your long-term investments, small fractions of your total worth is put into trading. So if that trading goes to zero, because we do have a lot of traders that listen to this, if that goes to zero, nothing, your life, yes, it's affected slightly, but you are so diversified there that you have opportunity to still grow, to still get back into the markets. You still have your long-term investments. Now I wanna flip it here and ask you a question when you're looking versus trading versus long-term investments, how do you determine the difference? Um, is there a point where you, do you have a rule in your system that says, okay, it's gone against me a little bit, but I still really love this. Um, I'm just going to roll that into an investment or are you, do you have those strict lines where it starts mm. to break apart? Well, you hovered over something very important here. Uh, this is a real tough thing. And I've coached students, you know, on this topic, trading students, investing students for, for years on this topic. And this is where people get hung up. When you trade, the rules are entirely different. Of course, we know this, but the rules are entirely different than whenever you're investing in a stock. Very different. So it would not be unheard of to average down whenever you're investing, right? That wouldn't be unheard of. Mm -hmm. But it, when you're trading, that's one of the cardinal sins of trading is to average down. You're thinking like an investor. So most of the problems that I see with traders when they fail is that they're they're approaching it like an investor. And most of the people who I see who fail in investing approach it like a trader. So that's really the key problem that, that we have to figure out. So when you're a trader, you gotta put your trading hat on and then take it off when you're being an investor. And that's that messes people up. It's hard to do, I would tell you. I've been doing it for a long time and I still have to really remember my rules at all times because it's easy to get caught up. So let me give you a perfect example. So. I'm a long-term investor in QQQ, the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ 100. Why do I want to be in the NASDAQ 100? Well, I don't want all the single stock risk with all these different companies, Facebook and Google and Tesla and all, you know, all these things that are in the NASDAQ 100. The NASDAQ 100 over time has attracted the top companies, the Facebooks, the Apples, the Googles. 20 years from now, whatever Facebook is going to be, whatever Google, whatever the 20 whatever Google is in the 2130s or whatever, it's going to be in the NASDAQ 100 index. 
The NASDAQ 100 index is kind of a magnet for these kind of growth companies, and they get inclusion in that list. So I want exposure to that list. I want exposure to all the stocks in that list. So I put my money into that NASDAQ 100, and I have a long-term horizon. So I'm planning on 20, 30-plus years in QQQ. I'm not selling it. I'm not selling it. However... What I can do then as an investor in QQQ, whatever, whatever research I did on QQQ, whatever possessed me to invest in it, now I have all that same information to trade. See, what many people do with trading is that they trade anything that moves. They don't have a niche. So anything that moves, I say, well, this thing's moving. I got to jump aboard. Well, that's true. <laughs> you can certainly do trend trading, and that's true. Trend trading works. We, treat, we teach trend trading. But we also teach the importance of having a niche. Uh, if you don't have a niche, you're just out there flying blind. It's uh, a lot of people also don't have any kind of strategy. They they walk out uh, in the middle of the woods. Say if you're a hunter, you walk out in the middle of the woods and you just start shooting in every direction, thinking you might hit something. That's just not how it works. You've got to sit in the in the tree. You got to get your gun. You got to wait for the buck to go right into the crosshairs. And then you shoot. That's how trading works. If you're out there just spraying bullets hoping you hit something, you're going to scare off everything and you're going to lose money and then you're going to say it doesn't work. I've seen that happen with people. So you got to have a niche. you got to know what you're doing. you got to, you got to have a, a rules where you enter a stock based upon this and you exit based upon that. That's trading. And so, for example, with the NASDAQ 100, I, I own QQQ in my IRA for the long term. But then... Because I know QQQ, because I know the NASDAQ 100, because I'm familiar with it, I, I learn about it, I educate myself on it, well, then I feel comfortable now to trade QQQ. But not just QQQ, I like to trade with leverage. So I can use options on QQQ or I can use leveraged ETFs. I'm not saying anybody should trade those. I'm not making any recommendations to anybody. But what I do is I'll trade TQQQ whenever it is above a certain area. So I I use a system. It gives me rules. And anytime uh, TQQQ, which is the 3X version of the NASDAQ 100, anytime it meets my re, re, uh, requirement, I'll buy it at, in my trading account. So then I own QQQ, and then I'm souping up the returns on it with this long trade on the 3X bull version of it. And then I'll sell that whenever it does something else. So I'm in a long-term position on my investing account for QQQ, and then I'm souping up or improving or enhancing the gains on it by trading. My trading has a purpose. It, my trading is purposed to give me a better return on the NASDAQ 100. Now, I do that with a few different niches. I like solar stocks. Uh, that's been one of my niches for a long time. I like, uh, I like cannabis stocks, to be quite frank with you, and I think that we're going to see some pretty big moves in those here, especially around the election. I'm surprised we haven't seen quite a big bump yet, but we'll see. Uh, but I do think longer term, that could be a really big winner. Um, and then there's several other areas as well. But I think it's important for people to really focus upon a niche, settle on what they know, think about their education, their experience. For example, I've got docs you know, doctors in, in our uh, online community here at Follow the Money who focus upon medical supply stocks. They invest and trade in those stocks. Why? Because they know them. I don't know those stocks. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. I, I don't know half the words that I'm reading when I'm reading, you know, some of the stuff that's in Greek to me. But my doc friends know, and one of them is a pharmacist. He knows 
which drugs sell. He knows which ones don't. Guess what kind of stocks he likes to trade? The ones that he knows. It's too many people just trade whatever, and they don't even think about what their education is, what their experience is, and that really uh, that's not a good way to go forward. You really got to think about what do I know, what's my edge, and how can I apply that in the market? You need to know your products inside and out. Uh, you know, a lot of our traders are trading futures. We always say that you need to know the specifics of the contract, especially um, I was glad that you put that caveat out there with the leverage ETFs. Uh, don't get involved with those unless you know exactly what you're trading because By all means. Uh, yes. they are they can be funky products. Yes. So, you know, don't just be when you're shooting all over the place. Uh, don't just think it's as simple as, oh, this is just going to be uh, three times the return on the NASDAQ. Correct. NASDAQ's gone up. Let's just hold it. No, that, right. <laughs> <laughs> that will end poorly. So I, I want to ask you a question. You were just talking about um, you do have some trading system that's kind of helping you determine when you're getting in and out of these trades. Is that that profit taker trend trading system you have or is that something completely that's different? Right. Yeah, it's the Profit Tracker Trend Trading System. We started that uh, many years ago, and it's a it's a simple system that's really great uh, for for new traders and experienced traders. But it's good because it teaches them how to it teaches them how to trade without giving them a fish, so to speak. It it still does give you buy signals and sell signals. By all means, the system is clear, and we have rules. But the way we approach it is such that we we really created it in such a way where the individual really realizes that it's up to him. He, in, in the end, uh, those who are looking for someone just to give them a fish, you know, I have found are just going to get hurt. Uh, nobody has a crystal ball and nobody has all the right answers. And so if you can teach individuals how to exploit their own knowledge base, their own education, their own expertise, and then teach them how to research you can really unleash some really amazing things. And that's what the Profit Tracker trend trading system is all about. So that Profit Tracker software gives you long-term uptrends. And by the way, it's called every single, I'm not, I don't want to sit here and brag, but I mean, but it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, we've been able to go back and look and see, we've been able to call every major long-term downtrend, every single major long-term uptrend in every single major U.S. market. I mean, just using basic technical analysis, and so what we do is, in addition to the software, we also have a weekly coaching call that we do every single Tuesday morning. So every Tuesday morning, I get I get live. We have our global audience. We'll go through and look at stocks together. They ask what stocks you know they want to look at. We'll look at them in the software. We'll talk about different topics, latest news. So, yeah, it's a great place for new traders and new investors to really get their feet wet, learn the market and uh, gain confidence, which is really what it ends up being. As you guys well know, your confidence levels can really affect your trading. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you get into trading, a lot of people, they don't know where to start. And so having something that at least something to teach them, okay, here are a couple ideas. Like you were kind of saying before, was that idea of like, what's something that in intrigues you? What's something that's part of your lifestyle that will help you understand those products better? The same thing here. If you have better ways of or a way of just getting an idea how to enter the market. Because a lot of times you'll sit down, you see new traders. I work with a lot of traders every day and they hop in and they're looking at, you know, a one minute or a five minute chart and they see this idea of, okay, it seems to be moving in this direction. So here's a good place to get in, but they really don't know what's a good place to get in, in the beginning. So having something like that sounds like a great idea just to give an idea and a little background of where to get in here, are a couple reason why and I'd hone it around what works for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I think another thing, um, I think trading in general tends to pull in a lot of people that are into the concept of uh, self-sufficient. And I would be uh, in dereliction of duty if I didn't ask you, you live a pretty self-sufficient lifestyle, right? And I'm kind of interested in, could you just tell us a little bit about your day-to-day or like what people could do to become more self-sufficient? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I was living in Houston, Texas. I was down there. My father owns a business down there. I was down there helping him out uh, with some online things back in uh, 2010, 2011, around that time. And uh, my wife and I were down there. We lived in a nice house, gated community, you know, the whole nine yards. And we, uh, I was driving around the town. I'm not a big fan of, by the way, Houston, uh, Texas. It's a pretty, it's a sprawling community. It's a fine city, but I didn't wasn't my favorite place to live. Uh, but I was driving around one day and I just had this sense in my gut. I can't even tell you what it was, except I would just say God is I realized I needed to get out of the city. Just had to get out of the city. This was in 2011 or 2012. And I came home and I told my wife, I said, listen, uh, we need, need to leave. And go find, go find some place. Got to go, got to go live out in the in the woods, you know. And she said, uh, "Okay." She was fine with. She's like, "This, this is fine." She was actually fine with it. So we packed up everything, you know, and we moved. And we looked a lot of places. We looked at Idaho. We looked at Colorado. We looked at why I wanted, I wanted big mountains and all of this, you know, uh, good water uh, supply and everything. Had a lot of criteria for the strategic relocation. Settled, ironically, of all places, never expected it in northwest Arkansas, uh, which, by the way, is, uh, you know, where I live right here is about the eighth largest economy in the whole world, ironically. Uh, Walmart is headquartered just in a little bit away right? from me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, just maybe 30 minutes from me, 30, 45 minutes from me, there is a tremendous amount of jobs here. It's a great economy here. Uh, but in the house, but, but the cost of living here is very low. So it's great for residential real estate investing as well. So it all works out, but we moved out here. We found a piece of land out here that had water. Uh, we, we built a large garden. So we, all of the produce we, we grow ourselves. Uh, we have, you know, chicken, a chicken house. If we want to do that, which we certainly do for eggs and things like that, uh, we're working on adding solar to our house so that we don't have to worry about, you know, being on that, on the grid. That's still, that's still a thing in process. We're in progress with that. Um, and we've, we're also teaching our children. This is probably the biggest part is that we live away from the city, but we can still access it. We have lots of room. This came in handy with this big coronavirus issue. This was wonderful. Now the property that we're at has gone up in value tremendously because now suddenly people do want to live outside of the city, we're finding. So I was very well positioned for that, but also teaching the children. We also decided, made an executive decision, that we were going to in-house schooling. We weren't going to be sending them out to the public school system for many reasons. And so we began homeschooling them here. And it's been nothing but great. I mean, we, we've taught our children, you know, that food grows out of the ground, that the grocery stores don't make food. <laughs> uh, we've, we've taught them that, you know, how money works and how to save and how to invest. They already own stocks. My, my children are eight. My two boys are eight and uh, five. They already own cryptocurrencies. They already own stocks. They already know that money is fake. They know that what fiat money is. They know how money is created. I mean, these are the things that we need to teach our children. They're inheriting a world that is sick, 
they're inheriting a world that is fake. We have fake food, fake news, fake money. Everything's fake, and everybody knows it. People driving around in, in nice cars, guess what? They borrow money to buy that car. People living in nice houses, guess what? They're bar they borrowed to the hilt to buy that house. It, we're living in a time that is fake, and it's important to teach our children that these things are fake so that they can be prepared and not fall into the same consumption trap that we all fall into and then try to get out of, spend the rest of our lives trying to get out of just so we have a decent retirement. It, it, we, can, we can really give our, our kids a, he, a head start. That's really what it was all about. We encourage people to, uh, to do something similar. I mean, if somebody feels like you know, getting off of the grid, getting out of the big city, many people now really want to. Uh, and people can contact us if they want more info about that. I've done lots of podcasts on it, too. They can find Follow the Money Radio. I've talked about that and shared my experiences. I'm slowly working my way there. I left the city of Chicago, I guess, January to oh, wow. come up to come up to my lake house in Wisconsin, and now I'm looking at bigger pieces of property. Yeah. With, uh, I mean, I plan on it has to have at least some sort of water, Mm -hmm. uh, or a well already tapped. Yes. And uh, solar, whole nine yards, and chicken yeah. coops, and some livestock. That's my dream. That's yeah. my dream. My girlfriend hates it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my, my, um, I would be already in Wyoming. People have listened to this podcast. I've been out there doing it before. Uh, my aunt lives out there. My grandfather used to live out there about an hour and a half outside Jackson. It's beautiful. Uh, but my wife, my love of my life, she is a uh, musical theater performer. And so it's going to be a little bit before we can get out there. But <laughs> sure. yeah, that's tough. Not yeah. a lot of that in Wyoming, I would assume. Not so much. <laughs> but um, yeah, we could do like a June and Johnny Cash type thing, I guess, in Jackson, <laughs> the million dollar cowboy bar. Um, but I think regardless of you know what your feelings are, you know, wherever you land on any sort of political spectrum, I think, you know, recognizing what you call the consumption trap is, I think, we should all recognize that debt is something that can really weigh you down. And really, I think it's good to know where your stuff comes from. And I think it's good to uh, buy the things you need and, you know, not get bogged down in a bunch of uh, BS. So, mm. Jerry, I completely yeah. agree with you on that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I remember speaking of the consumption trap. I remember it was around that same time whenever I was ready to leave the city that I had this moment. I was I was sitting in my my uh, house in Houston and I was looking around I had this epiphany it was the strangest thing I was sitting in a, I was sitting in my lazy boy I was watching something on television I'm sure something ridiculous and I was sitting there and I was was uh thinking and I had a bottle of water in my hand and I just had this epiphany I just thought to myself what inside of this house have I made um I looked at the bottle of water it was from you know some state uh I looked at the lazy boy Underneath me, I was like, okay, I don't know who made this. Uh, everything in the house went to the kitchen. Everything in there was store-bought. I went to my closet. All my clothes were made by somebody else. I realized, you know what? I specialize in outsourcing my production, right? That's what we really all do. We all outsource our production. And the more you can outsource the production of things, the richer we think we are. But what that actually does is it's a trap, like we said, the consumption trap, because then you're a specialist at consuming other people's production. And I began to realize that if we don't become producers, if we don't think like producers, then we're stuck in the consumption trap. We'll always be there. 
And so that was kind of the thinking that moved, that moved me out into the area that I am now and drives a lot of the philosophy that I kind of live by today is that we have to think like producers. We have to think less like consumers and much more like producers. Another example is with my children, for example, I brought them up earlier. When Anytime the TV is on, when the commercials are on, they mute the commercials. They mute the commercials because they know that those are literally just bald attempts to take their money. So they just mute them. You see, little things like that, when you start to think, like, I don't want to be taken by the producer. I want to be the producer, right? I don't want the producer to talk me into to buying from him. I want to be the producer. And you already have a whole nation. You have a whole nation that is that is uh, programmed to buy from producers. So it's you're, it, so be a producer. Uh, the whole nation's ready to buy from you. Um, so um, these are things that we teach. We, in fact, if you go to followthemoney.com and search for consumption trap, we've talked a lot about the consumption trap over yeah. the years. Well, Jerry, I think that's really wise, and I know you got to run pretty soon. So this be a great place to leave off. Um, once again, if people want to find you, uh, go to followthemoney.com or do you have anything on social you want to plug? Oh, yeah. I mean, followthemoney.com is the best place to go. Uh, we get our podcast there. You can get all of our uh, podcasts there as well. But we are, we're also on YouTube. We're also on Twitter. Uh, it's FTM Daily. So twitter.com forward slash FTM, like follow the money daily, and youtube.com forward slash FTM Daily. But I would encourage them just simply go to followthemoney.com and just enter their email. We send out free email alerts. We'll send you our podcast. We'll send you lots of information, lots of free stuff, especially when you sign up. We'd be happy to, uh, you know, start sharing some of this knowledge with, you know, your listeners and helping them diversify their savings, diversify their investments, become a better trader, and learn how to make more income. I really appreciate being a part of this uh, podcast. I, I'm oh yeah, thanks so much for stopping this by. This was a blast. Uh, yeah, this is a blast. Um, you're a really interesting guy. So. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead and uh, keep on keeping on. Get that solar set up, and uh, maybe you'll be, you know, ninety nine percent off the grid next time we talk. <laughs> I hope so. I, I sure hope so. And my best of luck to both of you. Well, thank, thank you very you. much. And we'll talk to everyone else right after the uh, sound effect that plays right now. Everyone out there, has your mind been blown? Are you perhaps gathering up your belongings and selling them and moving out to the woods? <laughs> If you are, send us an email if you still haven't burnt your computer. <laughs> uh, it was great talking to Jerry. Um, I'll be checking out, seeing what he's doing from time to time, because I think he lives a real fascinating lifestyle. And I think he gave a lot of uh, good advice as far as approaching this whole financial markets trading game. And um, yeah, man, I'm always down to talk to someone who's uh, got an interesting backstory. Without a doubt. And I definitely hope one day... I'm uh, close to that off-grid lifestyle. <laughs> I I got into it this uh, this quarantine COVID period. I got into this whole homesteading desire, watching countless movies and or shows and documentaries and videos about it. And I think it's like the coolest thing in the world. I grew up outdoors. I've spent months. I've spent I think close to the longest I've spent like roughing it was six weeks in the woods of Canada with some buddies. I wouldn't mind. I know having it's, a house. it's an attractive lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, like th this summer I spent some time in a, a town in Wyoming with right. 961 people and then uh, went to the UP to a town with 108 people. And uh, yeah, it's kind of nice being out there. Um, I couldn't do it full time, but you know, 
No, I definitely little. need like civilization within 20 minutes of where I'm at. Like I still need to go to the bar, have a bite to eat, meet some people, um, and then I can just go back to my seclusion. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, um, it's Thursday, so it's almost the weekend. So everybody out there, hopefully you get a chance to safely go outdoors to a outdoor bar or whatever they're allowing in wherever you live. And um, have a nice weekend. We're gearing up. we got a couple more weeks until the election. There's going to be a lot of volatility out there. So uh, stay safe. Namaste. And trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contain substantial risk. It is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.